0: Harry Palmer, a cold Helsinki winter, virus-filled eggs, outdoor festivals, evil computer programs, a maniac billionaire, a double cross. Make up the story of the third Harry Palmer movie, Billion Dollar Brain. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri.
1: And Tom Pizzotto.
0: From SpyMovieNavigator.com. It's not eggs we're cracking. Join us as we're cracking the code of the 1967 spy movie, Billion Dollar Brain. It's the third movie in the Harry Palmer series after The Ipcress File and Funeral in Berlin. So let's dive into the movie, Billion Dollar Brain. They bring back Ross, Guy Dolman, and Colonel Stock, Oscar Homolka, from the earlier movies. I was happy to see them again, especially Stock. I love Me that too. character. Me yeah, too. Yeah, the other main characters are Leo, played perfectly by Carl Malden, Anya, Francoise Dorleac, she was Catherine Deneuve's older sister, by the way. Deneuve turned down the offer to play Tracy in Honor Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oops. <laughs> yeah. General Midwinter is enthusiastically played by Ed Begley, and Dr. Iwart is portrayed by Vladek Schabel.
1: Okay, so one thing I want to say about this cast. There are three Oscar winners in this, one Oscar nominee in the movie. Hmm. Coincidentally, all three were for the Best Actor in Supporting Role. There was also an honorary Oscar winner in this cast. I mean, it was a great cast. So Michael Caine won Supporting Actor for Hannah and Her Sisters in 1986, and again in 1999 for The Cider House Rules. He had four other Oscar nominations. Now, Carl Malden won for his 1952 portrayal in the movie Streetcar Named Desire, mm. and he was also nominated in 1954 for On the Waterfront, two great yeah, movies. Yeah, terrific. And then Ed Begley won for the 1962 movie, Sweet Bird of Youth, beating out Omar Sharif for Lawrence of Arabia and a future Blofeld, Telly Savalas, who was nominated for Birdman of Alcatraz. Yeah, good movies. Yep. Oscar Homolka was nominated for 1948's I Remember Mama. And we should add that Donald Sutherland, he had a brief role as the voice of the computer, won an honorary Oscar in 2018. So they definitely had some acting prowess in this cast.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: I just give, I just wish they gave him a better script to work
0: with. Aye, I'm not so bad on this one. <laughs> I know. Here we go. If you
1: remember when we talked about the pre title sequence, we did the podcast on the pre title sequence to Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. You really didn't like that pre title sequence. Yeah. I kind of have similar feelings towards this movie compared yeah. to the other movies. Yeah,
0: it's grown on me. I like it the more I've watched it. All right, okay. the names. The names here are interesting. Carl Malden's name. Is new begin like there's a new beginning to his relationship with Palmer Brewing? Whoa, General Midwinter. Practically the whole movie takes place during a cold winter, reflecting back to the Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, and even Doctor Iwart. Iwart. <laughs> All right, we'll see <laughs> what that connection is too. <laughs>
1: Okay, let's get, let's get one thing out of the way here before we get to the plot and get, really get into this thing. I was 11 when the TV series Six Million Dollar Man came out. And I had assumed when I heard about The Billion Dollar Brain that it would be based on something similar, bionics and that, something like that. And boy, was I wrong. Yeah. So instead of The Billion Dollar Brain being a person like Lee Majors, who mm-hmm. played Steve Austin in the TV series, we now learn that The Billion Dollar Brain is a massive computer center. And it uses punch cards. And I've talked about how much I love punch cards yeah. in some of our other podcasts.
0: Hey, look, in 1967, this was a major leap in movies to highlight such a massive computer brain. Though you had many movies dealing with supercomputers before this, including Forbidden Planet in 1956, the 1957 romantic comedy with Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn called Desk Set, and, of course, the 2001 a space odyssey in 1968. But here we have a major spy movie with a massive computer playing a major role. It's
1: cool. It is cool. As we mentioned in the podcast on the Ipcris file and funeral in Berlin, Harry Palmer is supposed to be an anti-bond. He's not suave, he's not always confident, and he's not really a gadget user. Instead, he comes from a lower class and this is highlighted in the opening sequence when we see someone enter a building at night, Mm -hmm. walks up some dark stairs, uses a key to open up the door and on the door it says HP Detective Agency yeah. so this place is 180 degrees from where James Bond would be living Yeah. the man pulls out a flashlight to look around so this must not be Harry we see a toaster a classic music album yeah. dirty dishes a bra under the bed <laughs> a shoe it. with a hole in it and a picture of a naked woman on the wall again this is not looking like a Bond movie at this point.
0: Yeah. No. And like you mentioned, it you may be from lower class. Most British movies are really about class and, and the different class ranks. So here we see this we assume the HP detective agency is Harry Palmer. But here we go. Yeah, this is this is about as far from Bond and the way Bond lives as we can as we can imagine here much further away from the Bond life than we saw in the Ipcris file and Funeral in Berlin. We have to remember that at the end of Funeral in Berlin, Harry quit, so he was no longer in MI5. So I guess things haven't (laughs) gone so well for Harry uh, up to this point. (laughs) Anyway, this is going on. Harry walks into the room with his gun out and tells the flashlight guy, hey, raise your hands above your head and slowly turn around. We see it's Colonel Ross who wants to rehire Harry for a project. As he turns around, he dumps the cornflakes out of the box. I love that part. (laughs) It's just terrific. Somehow they don't seem out of place there. He pulls it out of a file cabinet and dumps. Uh, Fortunately, Harry is carrying a grocery bag with him as he's walking in and he's got his gun out he's got a brand new box of cornflakes in it. So it's like, oh my God.
1: Always be prepared with the cornflakes.
0: Yeah. Ross, always a bureaucrat, tells Palmer he can be in Palmer's place because he has a D-72 authorization and an A-410 and a search warrant from the Metropolitan Police. <laughs> the use of form numbers, again, from the earlier movies continues here. It's kind of funny, really.
1: Uh, it, of, it cracks me up because yeah. in all of these movies, these form numbers keep coming up, just showing the bureaucracy of MI5. Yeah. Now, Ross wants to bring Harry back to MI5, and he offers him a 300-pound raise over what he made last time he worked there. He tells Palmer that his detective business is dead and he's just keeping alive on cornflakes. Harry has a typical Harry to Ross quip here, and he says, yes, they're full of vitamins.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I love that line, whereas James Bond quips generally tend to be directed at an object or a criminal, and he tends to show deference to M, at least mostly. Harry is just hilarious with these interactions with Ross. He even tells Ross, if you want me back in that office, I love this, too. You're going to have to send around two very big men with a blackjack. (laughs) This shows that Harry Ballmer prefers his current life, as dismal as it seems here, to working for MI5 and Ross again. 100% condescending.
1: While Ross is there, a courier delivers a package to Harry. As an aside, nepotism is a great thing. The actor who played that delivery guy has three movie entries in IMDb all have Michael Caine as the star. Hmm. I guess it helps when your name is Stanley Caine and your brother is the star of the movie. <laughs> hey, <what> the heck? <laughs> all right. So anyway, Ross leaves. Palmer gets a phone call with a computerized voice. The voice doesn't answer Harry's question and tells him that the package he just received was payment to deliver a package. Harry's retort was, who is this and how did you pick on me?
0: Yeah, and bam, into the title sequence we run from there and the title sequence shows us a computer with the punch cards that Tom loves so much. (laughs) (laughs) They have the name Palmer on the deck, so we can assume this movie has something to do with computers. Okay. Yes.
1: So in that package, Harry got a key, and the voice told him he's got to go to a locker at an airport. He needs to pick up the contents of the locker and take it to Helsinki. This scene made me feel like it may have influenced the 1995 movie Get Shorty Hmm. with John Travolta. There's a scene in there where a package has to be picked up from an airport locker, but in that case, people were watching it to see who picked it up. Mm. There's also an airport locker in Diamonds Are Forever. However, Bond doesn't take the package out of the locker. A skycap does. Bond just monitors what's going on. Yeah. One other thing here, and I think it might have been a missed opportunity. He's given the recognition phrase or code word, now is the winter of our discontent. This is the opening line from Shakespeare's play, Richard III. I'll explain what I think they missed when we talk about the ending of the movie. Yeah,
0: I like that. I like that. All right. The the package was a thermos like container, and he was told not to open it. So of course he tries to open it, and <laughs> and he hey, can't. Terry and he can't open it. So first Palmer goes to a shoe store, and at that time in the nineteen sixties, uh, shoe stores had a machine that measured your feet for fit. It was an X ray machine which eventually they figured out was well, way too much radiation for people. But anyway, here, Palmer cleverly puts the thermos instead of his feet in there and sees what looks like eggs in the image. So,
1: can an x-ray see through metal?
0: I don't know. I think I don't know the
1: answer to that cuz isn't the thermos metal?
0: Yeah, the thermos is metal and glass and whatever, but I I think I think it I think it probably can. Anyway, it did in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: And, was... a- and actually, this is one of the things that I think was one of the most clever things that Harry does in the whole series. I mean, this was brilliant. You've got this thing, yeah. you can't open it up. Yeah. How do I see what's in it? Oh, I'll go take an x-ray of it at the shoe store. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, it
0: is, it was terrific. And so, okay, so now he's gotta bring these eggs to Helsinki, that's his instructions. This is the basis of the plot, and the rest of the movie details Harry Palmer's efforts to deliver these eggs and what these eggs might mean and who is who, and so on. So to me, the fun of this movie is what happens as we move from piece to piece of the plot, and who is doing what for who and why. Sounds confusing?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even sure. I've watched this movie 10 times. I'm not sure I 100% get the whole plot of this movie.
0: It is confusing, but eventually, if you watch it a lot, it makes sense, and then we're going to make some sense of it here, which is, oh. which is good.
1: Okay, we're gonna try, right? So we eventually do come to find out that these eggs are carrying a virus, a nasty (laughs) virus. And as we're dealing with the COVID thing right now, it's kind of apropos we talk about this. Now this virus theme is something we also see in Mission Impossible 2, where the chimera virus is going to be unleashed in order to sell the antidote. So a slightly different twist on it, but the virus is getting released to do bad things. Mm -hmm. So in either case, with what we're doing what we're going through with the coronavirus or what's happening with the virus in this movie the viruses are not going to be used in a nice way
0: no they're not all right so we're going to focus on a few key scenes here
1: palmer heads to helsinki and this is a great setting yeah i went to helsinki a few summers ago it was a beautiful warm day the swimming area next to the docks was open and was packed with the locals the farmer's market was alive. Lots of boats on the water, lots of activity. We went out to the island where parts of this movie are filmed. I mean, it looked like a vibrant city.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's shift to the movie. Yeah. In this movie, it's winter. Remember, General... we said Ed Bagley's role is General Midwinter. Yeah. There's snow and ice all around. You get the feeling of isolation. Mm-hmm. Most of the shots are wide shots with very few close-ups. In our podcast where we interviewed Johannes Eklund, he mentioned that Helsinki was more right in the winter. Mm -hmm. It was made for the winter. This movie sure gives us that impression. We also just did a podcast on the 2021 movie Cliffwalkers. That was set in snow as well, but had a very different feel. There the snow was beautiful. In Billion Dollar Brain, the snow and ice make me think of desolation. And Harry is alone in this environment a few times throughout this movie. And also remember the code phrase mentioned earlier, now is the winter of our discontent. This setting states that perfectly.
0: Yeah, really. I and mean, you see him walking there, sometimes you feel like, oh my God, you are really in the middle of nowhere on your own. And you have no idea what's happening, which is you know, the whole thing in the movie. So in <laughs> Helsinki, Harry meets Anya, who brings him to a sauna where the steam billows out of the room when the door is open in the cold.
1: <laughs> I thought that was so cool that yeah, effect.
0: Yeah, me too. That's nice. that makes you it makes you cold, and it kind of like hey, I can warm up when I go in, in case we forget it was cold there. That's why they're showing us this. They meet a man named Leo Nubigan. He and Harry knew each other from an earlier case. Not either of the two previous movies that uh, Harry Palmerson, however, Anya kisses Leo. Hmm, they have a thing going on, even though Leo is married to someone in Texas. There's a funny bit with that Le- snake. Yeah, there's, there's this little funny bit with Leo and Anya being naked in the sauna, and they tell Harry he should join them. Uh, what does Harry do? He asks for a cup of tea. <laughs> That's great. I like that. It's like this subtle stuff he does. It's like,
1: yeah, absolutely. Ah. You know, there's definitely people who are very comfortable hanging around naked and. Yeah. Harry's not one of
0: them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the scene is one of many with Carl Malden and, and Michael Kane having some great dialogue. The two great actors work so well together here. It's just fun to see them in these scenes. So Leo discovers that Harry knows there are eggs in the thermos. Harry asks him, how are you going to have them? Scrambled or fried? <laughs> <laughs> There's a good line. Okay. Here Harry again has great Bond-like lines. He is a clever guy and a quick thinker.
1: Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now, another thing to notice in this movie is the artwork. Yeah. Remember I said there was a naked picture on the wall in Harry's office? There's some other art on the wall there, right? But then Harry goes to see a guy named Dr. Karna, who Leo told him to go see. Right. And he's dead when Harry gets there. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of art in this place. Yeah. And I don't know that much about art to comment directly, but a guy named Matthew Bradford does. And he has a blog called Double O Section where he wrote about this movie. Mm -hmm. What he said about the art, I just, I couldn't say this any better. So I'm just going to quote him from this. Whether it's the juxtaposition of beautiful two-dimensional nudes cut in with quick shots of a grotesque, brutally murdered body or the sudden appearance of a painted Finnish deity serving as a stern reminder that men in the world of espionage are but pawns of a larger, unfathomable entities. The ever present wall art plays a crucial role in Russell's storytelling.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of it, and we're gonna see more of it in a little while too. So Harry leaves Doctor Karna by way of being chloroformed. He wakes up are, the, are those
1: the two big guys with the black yeah. <laughs> right. instead use of a black Yeah.
0: He wakes up in a limo <laughs> with Colonel Ross who proceeds to blackmail Harry into rejoining MI5. There's a briefing in the car, and Harry takes his oath to join MI5 again. He's told getting the eggs back to the British laboratory is his mission. All right,
1: now... Now wait, 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 wait. I want to stop you before you go on, because in this scene, there's an absolutely great callback to the Ipcris file. As Ross is trying to convince Harry to come back, he says to him... Now listen to me. That was the key action phrase, if you will, in the brainwashing sequence. That's true. In the Ipcrest file. Yep. Right. It activated the brainwashing. Yes. Yeah. Now later in in this movie, Billion Dollar Brain, Colonel Stocks says, listen to me at multiple points. Yes. But he doesn't say, now listen to me like Ross does here. Yeah. So I'm almost wondering if that callback, you know, Harry kind of agrees to go along after Ross has this Whoa, conversation so that he started he, with, now listen to me.
0: Maybe there wasn't an effect there, even though he, in the Ypres file, seemed like not to have been brainwashed. Whoa! Yeah. Anyway, yep. this might, that's a good, good call-out. That's good.
1: Yeah, that was one that I'm like, oh, I love that.
0: Yeah, that's cool. All right, so now we have more intrigue thrown at us here. The eggs are filled with nasty viruses. What will be done with these viruses? And by who, and to whom? In 2021 we're still very much worried about viruses. So, for 1967, this is a very intriguing disclosure for the viewer to learn.
1: Yeah, now there's another thing that might have been an, an influencer in a future movie from this scene in the car. If we jump forward to the James Bond movie Tomorrow Never Dies, in that movie after they leave the admiral, Bond, M, Robinson and Moneypenny are whisked at a high speed to the airport and they have a briefing in the car similar to this briefing that Ross has with Harry kind of telling him what's up the big difference here is that Harry is the anti-Bond Yeah. so in this case, Colonel Ross drops Harry on the side of the road yeah. as Ross continues on to the airport more cold desolation, isolation more winter of our discontent yeah. more anti-Bond yeah. Harry's just sitting there having to walk back Bond would have been given a ride back
0: yeah And to further highlight the pace of this movie, there's really no big transition here. Harry is walking in the snow, and then there's a cut, and he's driving with Leo, and we go to this room. So it's just like, hey, you're walking all along in the snow, you just dropped you off, and boom, there you are with Leo. So let's see what's going on there. The artwork here, as they're walking into this room, is fantastic, almost jarring with the juxtaposition of Christian religious art with what looks to be indian art and some battles all of the images they are choosing to show us and they're choosing to show us these and the focus on get us ready for thinking that our main characters will be engaging in some kind of war we are being prepared
1: and it's but it's you're being prepared in the background it's kind of a subconscious yeah. that it's doing that because it's just artwork on the wall and it's kind of creeps in a little bit
0: yeah all right They get to a high-tech door that Palmer must put his hands on the glass plates to read his fingerprints, we presume, while he must look into a lens, assuming for facial recognition, so he can be registered and enter this room. Well, they meet up with a computer, which gives them their orders. Leo says it puts MI5 and CIA back into the Stone Age. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. They feed it info. It goes to its big brother and back come their orders. Palmer says, cuts out thinking (laughs) like that. That line challenges the value of agents in the field who have to think quickly versus a high-tech world where the central agency or computer is thinking. Really, this is predictive of how much of spy work is done in the 2000s now. With high tech stuff versus field agents.
1: Well, and it's even that juxtaposition there is become a theme in some of the latest James Bond movies. Of the can we do things through the computers or do we need these field agents? Mm-hmm. Right. That's, exactly.
0: Re- yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's you know it's it's kind of come around. Right. So one question I have here is is that computer work some form of artificial intelligence? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, the computer talks to them in the same broken voice. Is the one that originally gave harry his instructions to pick up the eggs at the airport yeah yeah. yeah. that voice by the way is the aforementioned donald sutherland yeah. very early on in his career
0: yeah so here we learn palmer gets code name concerto now this is good we know he loves classical music from the first two films and even the album that that ross found in his dingy office that was a a classical music album and so this is a nice tie back and concerto from the italian concerto is a musical composition usually composed in three parts or movements in which usually one solo instrument for instance a piano a violin a cello a flute is accompanied by an orchestra or concert band okay why does he have the name concerto three parts we just talked about this harry palmer the independent detective getting paid to deliver a package to Helsinki. Harry Palmer, the MI5 agent, working to get the package back to England. Harry Palmer, the double agent, working with Leo, but working for, really, MI5. This was a perfect code name for him. Perfect, three parts, yet usually a solo instrument. Harry is going to go at it alone. This is beautiful.
1: That's great insight. And easy to miss. But I was like,
0: wow. The orchestra, all the characters around him, the computer, Leo, Anya, the Midwinter Army, oh, that's the orchestra around him. Concerto is a beautiful, well-thought-out code name for Harry Palmer, and it's also his third Harry Palmer movie. Three parts, third Harry Palmer nice. movie. Nice. <laughs> the computer gives a command for Piccolo agent, which is Leo, to eliminate an opposition agent who will be on the steps of a Russian church at a certain time, Palmer, some toy <laughs> talking about the computer
1: <laughs> yeah the computer ordering a hit
0: yeah leo says we have to protect ourselves this command and how leo handles it is an important part of the story and shows leo's true colors or madness we won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen the movie yet but no
1: note- okay so let me let me jump in here for you for a second yeah you just talked about how concerto was a perfect name for harry palmer's code name Uh uh-huh and then you mentioned that piccolo is the code name for leo yeah what's the story there
0: (laughs) piccolo is another great name for leo piccolo in italian is small so leo is a small agent maybe he thinks he's bigger than he is or whatever but he's a small agent maybe not as powerful as he thinks also a piccolo is a small flute that plays an octave higher than an ordinary one so does Leo play a different game than the other agents? Hmm. It makes you wonder. <laughs> Harry and Absolutely. I Yeah, I like it. So Harry and Anya meet up with this guy called IWart. Yeah, IWart. Note on the names thing, IWart does have a small IWORT below his right eye. Check it out. I was looking for it. <laughs> this is good. I mean, that's his name. IWart, right? Leo is there with the eggs that iWart is examining under a microscope. And Leo says, Harry, meet Mr. Sonata. iWart. Oh,
1: what's a sonata, Dan?
0: Lots of musical code names in this organization. Okay, so what's a sonata? And son- know it's a car. A sonata, yes. Yeah, not the car they're talking about. A sonata is usually a solo instrument with piano accompaniment. Okay, perfect. Because iWart looks like a loner. Odd. Different. He alone is working on the eggs and the virus. He has a dispute with Palmer and with Leo, so he is a loner. This is a perfect code name for him. Sonata, yeah, Leo then tells Harry that he Harry has to go to Latvia,
1: <laughs> okay, so I said that this is that i this is not my favorite movie ever <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the first half of it I'm cool with it's when he has to go to Latvia that this movie starts to skid off the rails for me. Mm. Up to now, it's been a fairly classic, straightforward spy drama. Mm -hmm. But then when Harry gets to Latvia, it gets weird. It gets absolutely crazy when he gets to Texas, as we'll (laughs) talk about in a minute. So Harry and Iwart split up, leaving Harry alone once again, walking in a desolate, (laughs) snow-covered place. And as is required in spy movies, it seems... Harry ends up on a train. Yeah, yeah. And there's a little bit of a comedy in, in one part of this where he's handed an, he gets handed a newspaper with a big picture of Lennon on it. And the train pulls into a town. Harry goes to his hotel room, but we see someone's watching him. He's then in bed, and he wakes up when a waiter comes into his room. The guy turns around, and it's Colonel Stock, <laughs> who we last saw in Funeral in Berlin. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is good. This is my favorite character from the last movie. And he's back in this movie.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad he's back because he was so good in Funeral in Berlin. So Stock knows Palmer has a meeting set up for the next day. And he says, I owe you a favor ever since Berlin. When I heard it was you, I came myself. Incognito, if you know what I mean. (laughs) He's in a tuxedo as he's like the waiter. This is like (laughs) great stuff. Great stuff. So he tells Palmer not to go to the meeting the next day and warns him that if he does go, he will be in great danger. Not from stock or any of his men. Then- yeah,
1: so there's there's two things here. One is he uses listen to me in this when he's telling him not to go. He says, yeah. listen to me, Harry. Yeah, yeah that's And so again, think into that brainwashing thing, except it doesn't have the word now in front of it. Yeah. All right, so there's that. The second thing is, if I'm Harry and I've got a colonel from from Russia coming in, telling me hey i'm doing you a favor here don't go to this meeting mm-hmm. i might want to listen to him <laughs> yeah.
0: especially since you know how good he was in funeral in berlin yes <laughs> all right uh, so here, here's another i i thought it was kind of an anti-bond line As stock is removing his bow tie and the collar he says to Palmer, i suppose a young man like you wouldn't understand the pleasure of removing a tight collar of course bond wears tuxedos often but you really don't see Palmer in tuxedos here.
1: I had a different spin on this. Yeah, I thought it was more a line about how men gain a few pounds as they age, yeah. so their collars get tight. Okay, and, and maybe not a line about tuxedos. I could be wrong there. I know it's happened yeah, no, to me.
0: Stock is a big guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so you also true. have to remember that not too long ago, many dress shirts didn't have the collar attached, mm-hmm. especially on formal wear. The collar remains stiff. And you added it onto the shirt. You buttoned it onto the shirt. Mm-hmm. And so unbuttoning this has the meaning of taking that off for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I like that.
1: Then Stock tells Harry, get out of this organization. There are a bunch of nutcases and criminals. Intelligence work is one thing, but using hooligans to try to break up a country is another. All right, mm. we have no idea what's going on. Some organization, though, is trying to break up the Soviet Union. Hmm. Now, he says there are a bunch of nutcases, and he's absolutely right. Because the next scene is just this crazy thing with a plan that goes awry with this crusade for freedom organization, planning to steal supplies and take pictures of documents from a truck from the enemy.
0: See, that's what he's doing in Latvia. See, it's all clear. Yeah, but it's nuts.
1: The the group group of people and what they do is absolutely crazy. The music here, which is the score is great. The music here just kind of shows how goofy these people are. Okay. Right? And another thing about this score is if you watch the movie on DVD when Harry meets Basil in the organization, a guy says something that seems really odd. Englishman, you got some Beatles records? (laughs) Well, that sounds so odd because immediately before that sentence in the originally released movie, there's a 32-second scene where the Beatles song a Hard Day's Night is Played. Mm, okay. So it, it it was actually a good tie back to what you just heard from the music. But on the DVD, they didn't have the rights to the song. Yeah, it was okay. going to be too expensive. Cut it so they cut it out of the yeah. DVD. If you saw this movie on videotape, you would have heard the song. And this guy's question wouldn't have been so out of the blue. Now, I defy any of you to find a videotape of this. <laughs> and B, have a machine you can play it in.
0: Yeah, right, um, yeah.
1: But the heist doesn't work out, and most of the Crusade for Freedom people are killed. Somehow, I think the score really made this comical, but it, uh, it worked making a comical.
0: Yeah, it was comical in the sense that these guys did not seem very professional and seemed doomed to fail. Uh, anyway, as Harry flees... He's in the woods in a beautiful scene with men on horseback chasing him down. Again, snowy, cold. I don't know why, but that scene looked to me like something out of Mighty Python, the Holy Grail. I mean, oh, yeah. So that, that, that's great. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't funny because he's getting hunted down, but, I mean, it's just like... It, it had that feel, though. Yeah, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It reminded me of that. Harry gets hit over the head and comes to in a bathtub filled with all these dead people. And as he stands up, two thugs grab him and scrub him clean. Someone is watching out for him. Is it Stock? Leo? Ross? Who? We don't know. We don't know for sure. The next scene tells us as Harry is taken to where an orchestra is playing Shostakovich's Symphony No. 11, the year 1905. Stock is crying from the music and he explains that symphony's importance to the Russian people. Wow. You're Stock yeah. again.
1: That, and that was that was powerful there, the way they did that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful use of music.
1: Yeah, and yeah, then, then Stock takes Harry to a bar, and we see Anya and Iwart at another table. Yeah. Uh, we were just in Latvia, but I don't know, are they in Latvia? I I'm not exactly sure where this is happening.
0: Yeah, I think they're still there, yeah.
1: Yeah, and stock so Stock says, you know the song, Where Tears Fall, Roses Grow? If it were true, Latvia would be full of roses. Mm, that's a good lie. During the war, they massacred thousands of their own countrymen. He refers to Sonata as a war criminal, and we can see that the military is about to close in on Sonata. Mm-hmm. Sonata breaks a glass file, pours it into his drink, throws it back, and dies. Yeah. So we can finally leave this madness of Harry and <sighs> Latvia, and we can go back to Helsinki. And there are two important things to note from this whole Latvia mess. First, stock has Harry's back. Yeah. And second, there are issues between the Russians and the Latvians.
0: Yeah. And I I think it's good. So they show why he went to Latvia. They were going to get those documents and everything else. Things failed. He somehow survived. Hey, stock's looking out for him. Good stuff. So back in Helsinki, Harry meets up with Anya and Leo is not there. Anya gets a phone call and says Leo has to go to the castle at five o'clock so he won't be back soon. And when she's on that call she speaks Russian I think and her face changes and looks sad. She snaps her head back around changing her face to tell Harry about Leo. I think there she got orders for what comes next. She and Harry end up in bed and she grabs what looks like either a curtain pin or a hat pin or something like that and he's, he's gonna stab harry in the back with it just like how dr carna died did this scene inspire how Catherine Trannell killed her victims by stabbing them with an ice pick in basic instinct i don't know
1: yeah i think this scene might have inspired that however this scene does confuse me yeah she tells harry that it was the brain which is what they call a computer yeah yeah but we find out at the end of the movie that she's Russian Mm -hmm. and if she's Russian and stock has Harry's back. Why was Anya going to kill Harry? Mm -hmm. This is just one of those many plot points in this movie that I just don't understand. Yeah. And speaking of don't understand, (laughs) we now get another no cut transition to Harry and Leo in Texas. If I thought things were nuts in Latvia, they're insane in Texas. That's Getting to Texas choice. changes everything about this movie, and it leaves the anti-Bond approach to the Harry Palmer movies and sort of becomes a Bond movie. There's a megalomaniac in General Midwinter who wants to start World War III to rid the world of communism. There are large sets in a villain's lair. There are even henchmen dressed in uniforms. This is definitely a Bondian second half of the movie, and General Midwinter just feels like an insane Blofeld to me.
0: Yeah, the scene is bond like because it's it's a spectacular scene in, in every sense of the word spectacular, with bonfires going, parties, people dancing and and crazy speeches going on. So but yeah, it is kind of a spectacular, Bond-like scene. One other thing is that the cinematography changes too. Remember, we said earlier that about Helsinki that the shots were wide, helping to promote this isolation feeling. And so when we get to Texas, everything is shot closer, especially the bonfire scenes. And we, as the viewers, are brought into the second half of this movie helping promote the idea that things are different now and we're, we're kind of into the scenes themselves. So they go to Texas to meet with General Midwinter, who runs this oil company, and there's a huge, this huge party happening. Again, bonfires, people dancing, all this kind of stuff, have, people having fun, unlike anything we've seen in Helsinki or Latvia, that's for sure. So this is different.
1: It's different, and there's also some disturbing images during this bonfire yeah. scene. First, of while the camera whirls around showing this, all of this activity, there are some posts in the background that kind of look like pointed KKK hats. Yeah. The party is really a rally. General Midwinter is rallying his troops. Then we see the logo behind General Midwinter, and this logo has yeah. a great similarity to the symbol of the Nazi party, albeit without the swastika. Yeah, this is a radical group and General Midwinter is stuck fighting the communists.
0: Yeah, and Ed Begley plays Midwinter, as we mentioned, and I think he really looks like a lunatic, which he's supposed to be. And I love his facial expressions, his screaming prayer and please. It's just perfect. All the references to God on his side and everything. I mean, it's just just beautiful.
1: beautiful. Well, and it's it's acted uh, really, really well. Yes, it is. But this whole scene in Texas is almost a seven-minute monologue by Midwinter just showing how batshit crazy he is. Yes, there's the occasional one- or two-line response or question from Harry or Leo, but almost all of the dialogue here is Midwinter raving.
0: Oh, yeah, he's got some good ones. Oh, Lord, I humbly accept the sword of leadership which (laughs) thou hast thrust upon me. Oh, yeah, he's good. I mean, this is perfect. How many times do leaders believe that they have the Lord God on their side, guiding them to do what they are about to do? I mean, really. Go back to the year 313. The victory of Constantine is attributed to his faith in the Christian God. Constantine's chief concern was that a divided church would offend the Christian God and so bring divine vengeance upon the Roman Empire and Constantine himself. Schism, in Constantine's view, was inspired by Satan. Constantine himself believed that he had a special and personal relationship with the Christian God. Okay, so we see a very similar situation here. And I think Begley plays it well for the viewers like us. We see his special relationship he thinks he has with God, but we see the satanic flames behind him. This is brilliant stuff. Midwinter, there's only one thing for him to defeat, and that's communism. This is great stuff. Texas is great.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's crazy. (laughs) So they end up leaving this bonfire and Midwinter's rousing prayer, and Harry gets to meet the general. Mm -hmm. And this is an alarming scene because this even shows more how crazy Midwinter is. He has a long discussion with Harry about how bad communism is and how he's going to get rid of it. He takes Harry into an elevator on his way to the computer center and brags about the computer as they walk into the computer room. He says, we're going into the 21st century. This is how wars are going to be fought and life is going to be lived. No? He tells Harry of the computer center, my brain, it cost me $1 billion. This is where the title comes from. Of course, yeah. This is a Honeywell computer facility and it looks great. Yes, it's dated by today's standard. But it was absolutely state-of-the-art in 1967 when this movie was made.
0: Yeah, and look at how prophetic it was in terms of how wars are going to be fought. I mean, this is exactly what goes on today. So that was actually pretty prophetic. This is my favorite line in this whole crazy scene. It makes the Pentagon look like a room in the Alamo. (laughs) Talking about the computer. (laughs) That's just terrific. And, of course, they're in Texas.
1: I I don't know if you've ever been to the Alamo. It's really small.
0: It (laughs) is. Now, at this point, I'm wondering why the general is so trusting of Harry. Harry was supposed to be killed. Brain's orders. Yet, here he is.
1: Uh, Dan, I I stopped trying to put logic in this movie a long time ago. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There's there's twists like this where it's like, why, why would he be doing that?
0: Yeah. So, anyway, Leo's in the computer center, and there's constant motion going on general midwinter is raging on and on about communism the russians china you name it he's going to take it all down
1: (laughs) yeah but what, what really cracks me up what really i thought was funny was that during all of this the general grabs a deck of about 30 to 50 computer cards and says this is the program for revolution when we feed them into this machine latvia is going to be in one big turmoil these send out orders to all of our agents in latvia to begin the uprising They take over the radio stations, the police, the post office, the airports, everything. Yeah. And then the general shows them punched paper tape. This was another way computers could read programs. So maybe that deck was just the instructions to the agents. Today they would do it via text message. But there's no way that small little deck, in and of itself, would have been enough of a program to take down Latvia. Yeah. They, they came so close to getting this whole computer thing right here. This one just cracked me up.
0: I think the deck was more of a symbol of what the computer can do. Anyway, we need to remember that this whole thing started with the package that arrived at Harry Palmer's dismal detective agency office. And it's been a long, crazy ride to get to this point. The general tells Leo he wants iWart to work full-time on those viruses. Whatever you say, General. Now, Harry knows Iward is dead. Does Leo? <laughs> oh, okay, keep that in mind. Harry, you're going to learn how to spread those viruses and you're going to learn quick because my brain says the hour is at hand and my brain is never wrong. He plans to start the revolution.
1: This, this guy's nuts.
0: He is nuts. He is nuts. Now, this is not that absurd. Just look at the Bay of Pigs and the US plan to do the same thing in Cuba in April of 1961 against Castro and his communist regime. It was the same kind of concept, much smaller scale, but the same crazy concept. And the general's plan is very similar. When the Latvians, after initiating the uprising, call for help, then the general will have his forces ready at hand to help, not the US government forces, but his forces. Then he says, once we show the way, then the U S and other free governments of the world will follow. Wow. The guy, the guy is crazy uh, in a lot of ways. So this whole montage of images, the party, the fires burning, pictures of Lenin and other communist leaders being consumed by flame, <sighs> uh, the general screaming and waving his arms, all the music, it is constant, almost jarring motion and reinforces how consumed and crazy this guy really is.
1: Yeah, and this was a tour de force acting performance by Ed Begley. Yeah. I mean, and it culminates with his repeating the word strong many times. And in the, in the movie, what I like about it, he, he starts going strong, 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 and they cut to some other stuff, and as they come out of the other stuff, he's still going strong, yeah. strong, strong. Yeah. I mean, this guy is nuts.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then we see Leo at the key punch writing out a new program. What? We know Leo isn't on on the up and up. A little brain surgery, he says. Oh, I get it. Drain the computer. Okay. There you go. Remember the orders on the assassination? Well, I'm erasing those orders and substituting my own. He says this all to Harry. The fact that Leo is acting against the general's orders becomes clear, and Leo betrays Harry. Leo gets pictures that were taken when Harry was with Stock into the general's hands, showing him these pictures. We see that the general isn't the only crazy person in this movie now. Leo's kind of nuts too.
1: Just a little more crazy. Yeah, he's a little off his rocker here.
0: Yeah. Harry gets detained by some henchmen, and Midwinter is about to shoot Harry when another Bondian thing happens. (laughs) What? Harry talks his way out of it by telling the general that Leo is sabotaging him and to check the central computer. Why is this Bondian? Hey, think about the way James Bond talked to Sanchez in License to Kill. Bond puts doubt into Sanchez's mind as Sanchez is about to have him killed a couple of times. Harry does the same thing here. Midwinter sees on the monitor what Leo is doing and calls for the guards to detain him. Oh yeah. Again, this is great cinematography. You see the sweat and perspiration on Midwinter's forehead, nose, above his lips. This is just a perfect shot graphically illustrating the intense worry that is now permeating Midwinter's body and mind. Oh, good stuff.
1: Yeah, so now Leo escapes the central computer room. How he got out of there, I don't understand, but whatever. Well, and same we way get Bond gets line... away. What?
0: Same way Bond gets away in uh, different places. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So we get a great line from the general as he yells at Leo through his speakers, again showing his my way or the highway attitude. Mm -hmm. My arm is long and my vengeance is total. And may God forgive you because I certainly won't.
0: (laughs) That's good.
1: Just what the heck? I mean, it's interesting on two fronts, this line, right? So first it shows midwinter's narcissism. Mm -hmm. Second, if he really is a God-fearing man, shouldn't the general forgive Leo? That's what the Bible tells him to do. Yeah, yeah, right. And it shows the general's duplicity. Because of Leo's escape, Midwinter accelerates the action in Latvia and mobilizes his forces. He wants the Latvian uprising program to run. The virus is released and he wants all of this to happen very quickly. Harry tells the general that he can find Leo and again talks his way out of getting shot. So now we leave Texas like that and we're back in Helsinki with the general and his team. Yeah. harry's waiting on a bench and we see anya get the eggs and is about to smash them when harry calms things down lets anya go with the eggs because he knows she'll lead him to leo
0: yeah which uh, they need to find leo anya speeds away in a mustang and passes a statue of a naked woman another naked woman see about to throw a spear again the camera makes a point of showing us the statue. Is Anya this warrior woman about to throw a spear into the works of Harry and Midwinter, or Leo? Oh, yeah. We all know exactly who she is. So, she gets to the train and hands the eggs to Leo. We cut again. Another
1: train scene in a spy movie. Yeah.
0: Again, a quick transition. No transition, actually. (laughs) To a scene of Midwinter looking over the vast ice and snow-covered water like a general surveying the battlefield, which is what he really We're back to the wide-open shots, the desolate environment, the cold, everything that the chaos in Texas wasn't. Yeah, we're not in Texas anymore. (laughs) (laughs) As they ride the train, they end up in a dining car and on their way to Russia, Leo and Anya. Harry and some henchmen grab Leo at a stop and grab the eggs. As they get off the train, Anya pulls out a gun and shoots the henchmen Leo runs to give her the eggs as the train pulls out with Anya on it. She keeps him from getting on the train by kicking him and looks back at Leo on the tracks. And she has a smug smile on her face. So she wasn't on Leo's side either. All the lovey-dovey naked stuff in the sauna. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I love the smug smile she's got on her face. Yeah. I mean, did this inspire the ending of the James Bond movie Live and Let Die where Baron Samaday is on the front of the train laughing? <laughs> Harry and Leo walk away dejected. And okay, I'm done at this point. Is it time to leave the theater yet? Leo and Harry are still in Helsinki. We're done, right?
0: Uh, no, no, not, not quite wrong, no. Uh-oh, uh-uh, no. God. We still have the general <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> And Harry is supposed to bring the eggs back to England. <sighs> Another direct cut to General Midwinter in a window overlooking a platoon of henchmen, all dressed in white coats. There is a very Nazi Hitler feel to this. He again invokes God by saying, With God on our side, how can we fail? Oh my God.
1: Yeah, so much for an anti Bond appeal to the Harry Palmer movies. <laughs> I mean, we have this megalomaniac acting like he's above all. Yeah. A platoon of henchmen, all wearing common uniforms and trying to track him down. Let's see, whose movies do this sort of thing? Um, James Bond, maybe? <laughs> you, you I think? Mean, I thought Harry was supposed to be the anti-Bond and not fall into these tropes. Yeah. This feels wrong for a Harry Palmer movie to me.
0: Yeah, this is spectacular in terms of uh, of, of the whole sort story and set. Anyway, the general has this military hard hat on. With four stars on it, (laughs) and his organization's logo. Instead of the tight shots we saw of him in Texas, he's centered on the screen, but doesn't take up the whole screen. This scene is reminiscent of the scene we see six years later in the movie, Patton, where Patton is addressing his troops. So very much like that. While this goes on, and Midwinter is walking amongst his troops, we see Harry and Leo driving to meet up with the general. We also see other parts of the uprising have started. The troops get into oil tankers for a long drive to Latvia. Wow.
1: I like how they use the oil tankers to transport the troops here. You wouldn't think you were looking at a military operation. Mm -hmm. It brings me back to License to Kill, where the tankers are used to remove the drugs. And I hadn't realized how some of that movie appears to have been inspired from this one.
0: Yeah, well, actually, you can go back even to the 1949 James Cagney movie White Heat. Oh yeah. And they had criminals hiding in an oil tanker. Maybe they inspired this billion-dollar brain scene. I don't yeah, know. That could be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So now Harry and Leo are too late when they get to where the general was, and they leave to catch up with the tankers. And again, we have a quick cut with the advance team setting down navigation lights on the ice. Yeah. And the trucks continue forward. This time we're back to the tight shots again.
0: Yeah. And while this is happening, we see Stock in a military room with planes on a map being pushed around, as you've seen in many war movies. His counterattack has started. The planes bomb the tankers and the ice, cracking the ice. We see Midwinter's plans cracking along with the ice. Midwinter's troops and tankers fall through the ice. Harry jumps out of his car, which falls into the icy water. Again, this isn't a Harry Palmer movie. It looks like a Bond movie here. <laughs> I mean, yes, it does. And the score is very good here, too. Brassy military music. It's very good throughout the movie, but here it's especially good. We see Midwinter's army fall into the cold water and drown. We see Midwinter do the same, bringing his diabolical plan to an end. So much for God being on his side.
1: Aye. Okay so if you remember at the beginning of this podcast, if you can remember back that far, (laughs) I said, I thought they missed an opportunity when they used now is the winter of our discontent. I get that the winter in Helsinki and the general being midwinter that the tie in there, but the first line of Richard III was now is the winter of our discontent in that play. Richard III's last line is, a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. (laughs) Now, in this scene, Midwinter doesn't say anything. And I would have loved some line like that from Midwinter when he was going under the water. To me, it would have brought the whole movie home with a type of continuity based on this key phrase of now is the winter of our discontent. Instead, we just see Midwinter slowly sinking into the water.
0: Yeah, that would have been a great idea for the movie, Tom. Yeah, that's I, a good I one.
1: think so. <laughs> yeah.
0: Here we get another quick cut to stock as he takes the marker from the map that represented Midwinter's Army and tosses it aside <laughs> with a wry smile on his face. Then back to Harry on the ice. The score has gone quiet. Harry is once again alone on the ice and needs to walk a long way to get out of there. The dead silence is broken by the sound of a helicopter. Whoa! Stock gets out of the helicopter and talks about patriotism and how some people like Midwinter can be both a patriot and a very stupid man. (laughs) War brings that out in people. It's a great short speech by Stock.
1: Oh, absolutely. That actually was good.
0: Yeah. He gives Harry the eggs and leaves. So, once again, Harry is alone on this fast amount of ice he's in Latvia now and we see him walking just like when Ross left him and finally finally we get a transition
1: the scene actually fades <laughs> to Trafalgar Square to Ross's yeah. office wow about now, that? I, so when he's in Ross's office I was trying to figure out what the picture on the wall in Ross's office was it was kind of covered by by their heads but if you remember the butterflies in from funeral in Berlin uh-huh they're gone and there's a new picture hanging there but again i I couldn't really tell what it was i'd love to know because that spot has held significance in the prior two movies
0: all right there's another surprise in this scene which we're not going to give away but palmer will work for ross again was the mission successful yes and no he prevented the invasion by the nut midwinter but did he get the eggs back and who in england produced these virus eggs anyway
1: well, that was the MacGuffin, right? I mean, it really doesn't matter. It's you know just like this movie for me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Now, I want to I close by talking about this being the third Harry Palmer movie. Okay. We've talked in the past about how the third James Bond movie with a new actor tended to be a really good movie. If not, that actor's best. You've got Goldfinger, The Spy Who Loved Me, The World Is Not Enough, Skyfall for Bond. Although, I'd question Skyfall over Casino Royale. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. But Mission Impossible 3. The Godfather 3 come to mind as third movies that didn't live up to the series. I mean, I actually like Godfather 3 better than a lot of the critics, but it still wasn't as good as the first two. And this is another example. Michael Caine got out of his five-movie deal after this movie. Yet another anti-Bond tribute to Billion Dollar Brain. It didn't follow the Bond pattern of the third movie being so good.
0: Yeah, I I liked it, but Funeral in Berlin is still my favorite Harry Palmer movie with Michael Caine, and Billion Dollar Brain is probably my least favorite of the three, so maybe it should have been Million Dollar Brain. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's a wrap. Thank
1: God.
0: <laughs> you can tell that Tom didn't like this one as much as I did, but... Let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. This has been Dan Silvestri.
1: And Tom Pizzotto.
0: spymovienavigator.com. We hope you enjoyed our Cracking the Code of the Spy Movie, Billion Dollar Brain." Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, too. Subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, right now through your favorite podcast app and on YouTube as well. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.